This is the audio of our live Sunday morning gathering. To view our live Sunday morning gathering, go to pcctoday.com. Yes. All right, you can, yes, go ahead and have a seat. In the next coming weeks, we'll be announcing, uh, we'll have a parent meeting for all the parents. We have great kids ministry leaders and volunteers, and we'll continue to have that. Uh, but we'll have a time, and we'll also have a time to honor Pastor Heather uh, as well in the lobby. So to be looking forward to those dates as well. They'll be coming out next week. Um, so that'll be fantastic. Well, today is a great day. I hope you're ready um, because we have a special message uh, from the second best looking bald guy in the room. And uh, he's our, his name is Pastor Rick. He does our young adults and CFO finances. Just a great man of God. And we love Pastor Rick. Would you welcome Pastor Rick as he gets ready to speak this morning? Come on up, Pastor Rick. Thanks. Thank you, Pastor Nate. You know, uh, I got to get my, my notes up here. So last, last week when I said that Pastor Nate was the second best looking bald guy in, in the church, uh, Pastor Rod, who's over our singles, texted me. He said, I totally agree with you, and I really appreciate the compliment. So I, uh, <laughs> I had a couple other people that, that said the same thing. So uh, unfortunately, maybe we've got a lot of people missing their hair. I don't, I don't know what that's all about. Might be the, might be the water or the rain. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. So, uh, well, good morning, Portland Christian Center. It's a pleasure to be up here. I appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity to, to preach the word. It's always an exciting time. Um, it's also, uh, to be honest, I'm just going to be frank, I'm a little bit nervous as well, so, uh, but we'll get through that. I know we will. So if you want to prepare, we're going to be in John chapter 12 this morning, if you want to go ahead and, and flip there. Um, when I was preparing for this, Pastor Nate asked me to, to, to preach a couple, uh, I don't even remember when, but uh, uh, it feels like a hot minute ago, and, uh, and he said, uh, we're going to do this series, and I want you to do this series on Am I Generous? And I thought... Well, I don't know. Are you asking me like to preach or are you asking me if I'm, you know, but no, it's like, and, and the truth is, it, it's something I think that we struggle with. And I love the title of this, Am I Generous? Because it comes from the first person. It comes from the first person to say, am I generous? And for you, it comes from the first person for you of am I generous? Not are you generous? Am I generous? Because that's where it really matters is am I generous? If you've been here for a while, Pastor Nate's been talking about the Blessed Life series, and we've been on this title, and it's been, it's been an awesome series of driving into who Jehovah Jireh is, our provider, right? And so we have this thing like, we say Jehovah Jireh, we say my provider. So Jehovah Jireh? My provider. Do you believe that? Yes. Jehovah Jireh? Amen. And Jehovah Jireh is our provider. And if you haven't had a chance, I would encourage you to go back and listen to those. It starts off with, it's all about the heart. And it also goes into what, what Pastor Nate called the tests. And then the first fruits. And then last week we did breaking the spirit of mammon. So it's great now. Today we're going to say, am I generous? And you're not going to want to miss next week when Pastor Nate wraps this all up. So I'm going to leave that as the cliffhanger for you to come back. So, uh, so I want to say that this series is, is important to me too because it also reminds me of my first time giving. And... So when I first got saved in the church, I'll be honest with you, and I, and I started hearing this series about tithing and about giving, and I just thought, that is so annoying. The church just wants my money. Like, is that all they do is talk about money? And, you know, it's like, and, and uh, I very vividly, it didn't take long before God spoke to me and he said, if all you're hearing is money, then it's about your heart. Yeah. And it's amazing that we started with, 
It's all about the heart. And so the very first lesson was, it's about the heart. Well, I was in college and I was broke. And so I can tell you my first test, my first test came around. I actually, I, some of you know I was in the Marine Corps, so I was actually broke and I was applying for my VA benefits and they didn't come in and they didn't come in and then they finally came in and if you know anything about the government, when they finally do something, they do it retroactive, right? And, and you're like, well, thanks. I would have nice to have that like 12 months ago. Well, it was retroactive and so it was a large check. And I thought, nice, this is my money for my tuition, for my books, for my provision, for my rent, and there was a lot of mice in there for a reason, right? And, and God like really spoke to me and I was like, but God, this isn't taxable income. This is a benefit, right? You're, I'm trying to justify it. I'm trying to justify it. And he's like, he's like, I didn't ask you if you're gonna tithe on your taxable income. I didn't ask you if, he said, I asked you, are you gonna let me provide and are you gonna trust me? So this was my first test. So I, I wrote the check out and it was a lot of money back. Heck, it was, it'd be a lot of money right now because it was a year's worth of VA benefits. And I was like, you know, so it's like kind of painful, you know, and you're kind of like, and back then, so some of you don't know, this was like, we had these like paper things, they were called checks. We had actually wrote on them. It was really weird. We didn't have cell phones. It was a crazy world. I'm surprised we survived. And we tore the check off and I mailed it in, but I was in college and I got saved when I was in college at, at my, at a little home church where this beautiful, beautiful young lady that I was dating invited me to church. I married her. Um, and so, she invites me to church, so they didn't know me by Richard. They knew me by Rick. Well, back then, she knew me as Ricky, right? And so, uh, yeah, that was one of those childhood nicknames that you try to get rid of and you can never get rid of, right? So it just, like, clings with you forever. Uh, so, so I send in this check, and it's Richard Bernheisel. Well, she doesn't know who Richard Bernheisel is. So, of course, back then, no cell phones, like I said, can't believe we survived. So she called the number on my, on my check, which was because I'm in college and my number kept changing. It was my home number with my parents, right? Gets a hold of my parents and my mom's like, he did what? How much is that check? He can't afford that. He's in college. Rip that up. So what did the church do? They, they honored the request. They ripped up my tithe check. <laughs> so time goes by and I'm like, how come my tithe check hasn't cleared? This is my first fruits. I'm doing what God called me to do. I'm like, woo. And I talked to my mom and she's like, oh yeah, yeah. And I'm like, you did what? You know, I was, like, I was like, no, 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 you can't do that. So then I thought, okay, that's God's provision, right? <laughs> Woo! I got off the hook. Praise Jesus, right? No, no, no. That's when I got the opportunity to break the spirit of mammon. That's when I had to realize, is am I going to trust God or am I going to trust the government? I love that on our money it says, in God we trust not in Wells Fargo we trust, not in my credit card we trust, not in Chase we trust, not in Capital One we trust, because sometimes I know there's a lot of people out there, because we go through this with our financial peace class, and I've heard this probably a thousand times, and I've, I've done it, I'm not throwing stones, I've done it myself too, like, well, I had that credit card for backup, just in case I need it, because in Capital One I trust. That's my provision. And God says, no, trust me. So I wrote another check, and I told him, don't tear this one up. And I sent it in. See, God's going to deal with you. God's going to deal with you. And, and I vividly remember God's presence. And I remember the very overwhelming feeling of gratitude for what he had done for me. 
what he had delivered me from and what he was going to deliver me from as well. And there were some things in my life that I didn't even know I needed to fix. And he was like, oh, yeah, just wait. (laughs) Just wait, Rick. You're a hot mess. And sometimes that still happens. But God is constantly patient with us. And I remember that feeling of gratitude for what God had done for me. And I realized that I need to trust him. And that started my journey of trusting God with my finances. And I can tell you, it was a roller coaster. So if you're on a roller coaster, just put your hands up. It's a fun ride and just trust God and it's going to be crazy. And there's going to be times when you're like, I don't know, God, if you're really going to come through or not. And he's going to come through. And there's going to be times when he's going to test you and he's going to ask you to break your spirit. He's going to ask you to be challenge you and take you outside of your comfort zone to say, do you really trust me? And you want to come back to this. And here's our big idea. Generosity comes from God. Generosity comes from God. It's easy to think it comes from us. It's easy to think it comes from something else. But our generosity comes from God. So before we get started, I want to say something. We've, we've already been through the highs and lows. Can you feel it? Like, worship was like, woo, Pastor Heather. Oh, you're like, oh, excited. Oh, finances again. Okay, so we've, we've been through the, all the highs and lows, so now you know what? <laughs> Hopefully, like, my goal is always to encourage and inspire people, but I also want to challenge you. So that's the, that's the goal of a pastor, right, is to push you far enough to want to change, but not so far that you get mad and offended and leave. So, right? So we're going to get you like, right to the door, and then like, kind of like pull you back again. So if you're offended, just wait. Uh, you'll get offended again. No, um, so no. <laughs> I do want to say this. I am proud of this church. And I know pride comes before the fall. And I, you, know, I, you know, we can all take scripture and you know, quote it. So here's the thing. I am very proud of this church. This is a generous church. This is a church that sucked it up, pulled together, and said, we're going to go debt-free. How can we say that we're a generous God? How can we say our God provides if we can't even provide for our own church? And they said, you know what? We're going to do this. And I know you did that Unleashed campaign, and you went after it, and thank you. Thank you. This is the first church I can say. Every church we've been in has been debt-free. But I can tell you this, and and I'm not just saying that because of Sherry and I, but this is the first church we came to that was debt-free when we got here. Every other church was not debt-free when we got to them, and we were like, uh, you know, part of the catalyst, part of the voices, like, you know what, if we want people to live this life of generosity— how do we not as an organization, as a body of believers, not live this life? So thank you. This is a generous church. I can also tell you that this church that you're doing it. So Pastor Nate has been preaching on this series. And if you don't know, before this series started, we hit a low point of 89% of our ties in our budget. And for us to hit 89%, it's been a little bit of a struggle. We've been having some challenges behind, behind the scenes of like, hey, what do we do about this? And how do we fix this? And, and do we react quickly or do we react slowly? Do we, act, do we ease into it or do we whiplash back and forth? Do we slam on the brakes or do we kind of like say, no, we can, because, because we're debt free. We don't have to whiplash around with our finances. But that doesn't mean we should be silly. So, of course, we start pulling back the reins. We started, Pastor Nate started preaching on this. I don't know if you remember the September with the, with the giving that came up, but and our giving increases as we go to the end of the year. So in September, we didn't hit 90% of the budget. We hit 112% of the budget. So yeah, that's good. That's good. And I know Pastor Nate is proud of this church too. And, and, and then now, here we are, October. Look at this. 58% of the monthly budget. And that's only after two weeks. That's after October 1st and October 8th. We've got three more weeks to go, folks. You know, we are go, you're doing it, yes. 
That is something to say, you know what? God is our Jehovah Jireh. He is our provider. And I've heard stories of personal testimonies as well about this is happening with you as well. People were out there saying, you know what? I don't know how this works. We're going to get into that a little bit more. You are giving. You are stepping out of faith. And I want to recognize that because for some people, I know this is really, really difficult. For some people, I know you're being challenged. I know maybe you had to get through the offense like I did. You had to pass the test. You had to break the spirit of mammon. I know all those things are happening in your life. And maybe for me, I know it happened quickly because I'm slow. God's got to do it quick or I'll, I'll get distracted. I have ADD. So for some people, you know, he's like, he's more gracious with you and he's bringing you through this. And that's okay. It doesn't really matter. But God is working with you and you're adhering to that. And you're saying, God, we trust you. We trust you. And I know for some, it's been a challenge and you've already been through the highs and lows of your finances. So here we are. We're going to get into this. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Am I generous? Then, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead. Remember that story? Okay. Whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrance, all oil, not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box. And he used to take what was put in it. He used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always. But me, you did not always have. And I just want to take a moment to pray. Lord, I just thank you, God, for this morning, God, and I thank you that you're here. I thank you, God, that you're in our midst, and I thank you that you are Jehovah Jireh. So, God, I pray that you give me the words to speak. And, Lord, I pray that you open ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So here it is. We have, these, we have two different hearts displayed here. And we have one heart is, is, is Mary, who's very extravagant gift, and we'll explain that a little bit later, where she comes in and she just cries at his feet and anoints his feet with oil and wipes his feet with his hair. That's something that people like me could never do. But we could pour the oil out, so we don't have the hair. But she had the hair. And so I, I think this is interesting because in order to wipe his feet with her hair, she'd have to get really close to his feet. And back then, they didn't have shoes and socks and all that stuff, right? They walked around barefoot, so I'm pretty sure... There was like, you know, there was, you know, we don't have to get into it. So you get the hint, right? So she's really close, like probably, I don't know, oil and hair. And it's like, and if you think about it, it's kind of nasty. But at the same time, it's one of those things that Mary did to express her gratitude. And then we have Judas, like, oh my gosh, what a waste of money. What a waste of money. So Judas is, he's all upset. And he gets this heart all messed up. So Mary, who is generous, and we got Judas, who's selfish. And you might think, well, why is he selfish? He wants to give that to the poor. But it says right there in Scripture, it says not that he cared about the poor. It's because he stole from the money box. And so if this oil is being poured out for Jesus, then it's not passing through the money box. If it's not passing through the money box, he can't take his slice. So he doesn't like this fact. He doesn't like the fact that it's coming out that way. 
And so the interesting thing right here is we have to decide where we're going to be. Where are we going to be with our heart? Are we going to have the generous heart? Are we going to have the selfish heart like Judas? And it's really easy. It's, it's really easy to throw stones at Judas, right? But I can tell you, I think we've all been there sometimes. We've all been selfish. So three things we're going to learn about generosity. The first one is the enemy of generosity. And the enemy of generosity is what? Selfishness. The enemy of generosity is selfishness because that's what Judas was. And see, an interesting thing about this that, you can, that will be easy to remember is G stands for God, generosity. Generosity comes from God. That's why that's our big idea. Generosity comes from God because God is G and G is God and God is generosity. Okay, so, and Satan starts with S and Satan is selfish because he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he wants to steal things from you. And in a way that he can do that is if he makes you selfish, it's actually stealing from you. It's stealing a blessing from you, and we'll get to that in a minute. See, when the kids are older, they learn this very quickly. I love babies. You guys know I love babies. And if, oh, if you haven't get a chance, you need to go see Elsie's new T-shirt that she's wearing today. I'm just going to lay that out there, okay? If you, have, you just got to read what it says, all right? Okay, so anyway, um, so I love babies, and babies are, babies are great, and they're super cute. But at the same time, they are very selfish, What's some of the first two words they learn? We, we, we remember the mama and the dada, but you know what the first word they learn usually is no and mine. That's the first two words they learn. And I remember from Finding Nemo, you remember those annoying seagulls? Mine, 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 mine. You remember? Does he, like, so, but that's how we live our lives sometimes. Mine, 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 mine. I worked really hard to get where I'm at, so it's mine. I want it because it's mine. And, and little kids do this. Little kids will argue and fight over the dumbest little things all the time, right? And as parents, we always do the right thing, right? We want justice. We want to go in with like a kind heart and say, what are you arguing about? What's happening here? We listen, right? And we like, what happened? And whose toy really is it first? No, that's not what usually happens. What usually happens, we hear mine, 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 mine. We go in there like, knock it off. Just give it to them. I just want it to be quiet, right? (laughs) Because sometimes you get there and you just want it to be quiet. I have like, we have like 18 or 19 nieces and nephews. And when they were little and they would be running around, there'd be like 1,500 people in a 1,500 square foot home. You know what I'm talking about? And they're running in and out the door and touching everything and yelling and screaming. and, And it's so much fun and it's overwhelming and exciting. And you're like, sometimes you're like, woo. And other times you're like, oh my gosh, they're jumping on the couch and it's mine, mine, mine. And you just want, sometimes you just want it to be quiet. Now they're all like 30 and I have great grandnieces and nephews. <laughs> they all run around. That. So it doesn't change. But we have to teach them that. So here's the exciting thing. We know this. We know we're born into sin. We know we're born into sin and have the tendency to sin. And so we're born selfish. But here's the thing about God, right? Is that we're born again generous. And we just have to transform our mind. He's like, you were born selfish, but you're going to be born again generous. I'm just going to transform your mind. It's Romans 12, 1 through 5, to get you to the place where you can see that I am Jehovah Jireh. I am your provider, and I am generous. And because I am generous, you are, from me, generous. And that is a place that we have to get to. But it's a struggle. It's a struggle. 
Maybe you've thought that yourself. Maybe you thought the exact thing that Judas said. Why wouldn't they just sell that and give it to the poor? Why wouldn't that family over there just do that? It's always, see, Judas never said, why wouldn't I, am I generous? Why wouldn't they do that? And as long as we're looking at the thems and the theys and what they should do, and we don't even know what they're doing, as long as we're doing that, we're not actually reflecting on ourselves. And so here's the idea of extravagance. idea of extravagance is somebody who has more than you. Because when you drive by a neighborhood, when, when our first house was 800 square feet, you can't even buy an 800 square foot house anymore. I don't, I don't know where they all went. Like they got leveled, they built bigger ones. I don't know. But 800 square foot home, two bedroom, one bath, and it was small. And when we drive by other homes, when my head wasn't right, I'd be like, wow, they live in a nice, fancy home. They could live in a home like ours and give that money to the poor. <laughs> like me. <laughs> but, then, but then when you move out of your 800 square foot home and you move into a 1500 square foot home or a 2000 square foot home, then those are no longer extravagant. Now the 3000 square foot home is extravagant or the 5000, whatever's more than what you have is extravagant because that's what happens with our life. The people with brand new cars when I was drive, driving my hoopty, they were extravagant. But now that, now that I've saved and I've got a fairly new truck, it's a 2019, that's not extravagant anymore, <laughs> right? Something else is, and I don't even know what that is anymore. But it's always this comparison to other people so that we don't have to focus on ourselves. And God said it's not about, it's not about how much, it's about the heart. It's about the heart. See, Judas was a thief. And he comes in and he says, why don't you just give that? To the poor, and not because he cared about the poor. Now, let me ask you this. Judas stole from the money box. We know that. The Bible tells us that. How many of you, when, when we pass the buckets to the place, you just kind of reach in and grab a little bit for yourself? <laughs> oh, and nobody, nobody raised their hand. Like, okay, good. Somebody's like, in the back's like, uh, no. Um, nobody would do that, right? I don't think anybody would do that. Nobody would like just reach in and grab some money and stick it in their pocket and be like, yeah, Jehovah Jireh, <laughs> my provider. Yeah, that's good. That's good right there, right? But in Malachi, Jesus says, if you aren't giving, you're stealing from me. Now it's going to get heavy. Isn't that the same thing then? If we're not giving the tithe, is that not the same thing as just taking it out of the money box? I don't know. Some of you are like, I don't know about that. I'm going to research that. He uses that same word, mine, in that scripture. He said, the tithe is mine. That's what God says. The tithe is mine. Don't touch it. That is your first fruits. That is your first fruits. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God will test you, it says, but he will not tempt you. So if you think you've been tempted by God, you haven't, but you will be tested. And I think in this scripture, what happened with, with Judas is that he was tested. He was given the opportunity with the money box because guess who gave him the money box? Jesus, our omnipresent, omniscient God. Omniscient means he's all wise and all knowing, right? Our omniscient God who is everywhere and knows everything said, you know what? I've got this thief in my ranks and I'm going to make him in charge of the money box. And I think that maybe he did that to test Judas, to give him an opportunity to break that test, and he didn't. He failed that test. Judas failed the test. And you know what, friends? There's been times in my life I've failed the test too. 
So this is a struggle. But God will not tempt you. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. But God is faithful. But God is faithful. And he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. That you may be able to bear it. So God does not tempt us, but he does test us. And the question is, when that test comes, what are you going to do? And I firmly believe in training. I firmly believe in planning ahead. And I firmly believe that if you don't train, you will react in a way that you do not think you should react. And so when you train, what you do is you train up here so how you will respond. So the question is, are you training your mind that says, God, when that blessing comes, I'm going to give. When that blessing comes, I'm going to give. When my pay raise comes, I'm going I'm to continue to pay by tithe and I'm going to increase it. When this happens, I, this is what I'm going to do. And you make it in your mind and you plan and you prepare and you train yourself for how you're going to respond. And if you train yourself with how you're going to respond, when the moment comes, you will respond that way. If you don't train, I don't know how you'll respond, probably in your nature. Probably in your nature. The enemy of generosity is selfishness. So that's the heavy one. Everybody take a deep sigh. Yes, all right. So the extravagance of generosity, number two. We'll get to number two if you're taking notes. Number two, the extravagance of generosity. Now you might look at this and say, that wasn't that extravagant. It was 300 denarii. How much is that? I don't know. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Here's what I do know is there's all kinds of scriptures in Bible that talk about extravagance. When you extrapolate the amount of money that David gave when he rebuilt the temple and you put it in 2023 dollars today, it's $26.5 billion. $26.5 billion that the, that the people of Israel gave, that David gave to rebuild the temple of Israel. $26.5 billion. That is a temple, folks. That is a sanctuary, right? I don't even know what we would do with 20. Well, I have some, no. I, I don't even know what we would do with $26.5 billion. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. But you know, there's another place where, where Jesus says that was an extravagant gift. It was an old lady on fixed income, maybe Social Security, I don't know what she was on. Two mites, the Bible says. It's like two half pennies, right? It's like, it's like you would think that's like nothing, but Jesus is like, that was an extravagant gift. Because she gave out of what she did not have. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. Am I generous? The extravagance of generosity. So Mary, let's get into that. 300 denarii. Back then, one denarii was basically when denarius was like, was like a day's wage. So if we think of it that way, 300 denarii, back then they worked about 300 days. Today, just to give you guys an example, most of us work about 260 days a year or less. So you think you work hard now. Back then they worked a lot. So, um, you know, we got, you got weekends off and everything, right? You can add it up, do the math yourself. All right, so we work about 260 days. They worked about 300 days. So it's actually a little bit more than a year's salary. But let's just say, for argument's sake, back then, 300 days, that's what they worked. That was a year's salary. How many of you would take one year of your gross salary and give it away? Not very many of us. That, my friends, when she did that, that was an extravagant gift. That was an extravagant gift. And not only would you take and give away a whole annual salary, your gross annual income, but what about this? What if you took that and poured it on somebody's feet? That's extravagant. That's a lot of work. 
for a lot of money to say, God, I trust you. I trust you. So if you can't put yourself for just a moment in Judas's place as well to say, why wasn't that sold and given to the poor? If you can't be honest with yourself and say, you know what, I've been there. I've thought that. There's been times in my life when I've gotten some, some bonuses and different things through my life and I thought, you know what we could do with this? And that's where my first, my first thought goes. And I'll even like express that to my life. Like, oh, we could take this and we could pay off this debt or we could do this or we could go on. And it's like, oh no, 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 no. We're gonna give to, we're gonna give to the Lord first. We're gonna give to the Lord first. When we went, we went and bought our first house, I remember when we, we showed them our budget because, you know, like, they're going to tell you how much you can afford. And, I, and we showed them, like, we can't afford all this. And they were like, oh, well, you can afford more than that. Why? Because this, this 10% over here that you're, that you're saying that of your gross income that you're giving to the church, you don't have to do that. And I thought, whoa. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. We went and got a new lender. I mean, I, I'm like, I, we don't, I'm not going to use that lender. Are you kidding me? No, we're going somewhere else. So um, that was our first house. But it was a thought that gets planted into your mind, and you start to think like, yeah, I don't have to do that. That doesn't matter. It matters to God. It matters to you. Entire annual income and poured it on Jesus' feet. That's a lot. That's extravagant. That is extravagant. So you think about this. We have this great big God that we serve who has everything. He needs nothing, right? He has cattle on a thousand hills. So, you know, he has lots, lots of cattle and lots of gold and lots of everything, right? The Bible says that he paves the streets of heaven with gold. He paves the streets of heaven with gold. And I heard this joke about this guy who sinks gold bars, sinks 100 gold bars into heaven and he's got them in his back and he gets up there and he's like, hey, Peter's like, what you got there? And he's like, he opens it up, and Peter's like, you brought asphalt? You know, it's like, yeah. So we think about this, and God has have, paves his streets with gold. The Bible says that he has foundations 1,380 miles high, 1,380 miles wide, and 1,300 miles long. And so there's this big, huge Jerusalem paved with gold, Precious stones everywhere, these pearly gates that sit out in front, and I don't know if they're as high as, as the city is, but if they're 1,380 miles away, so there's just pearls everywhere, gold everywhere, precious stones, like crazy, and we're thinking, what could I possibly give to God? So could you give an extravagant gift to God? Now remember, this is a God who said when he, she poured oil on his feet, Jesus said, this is preparing me for my burial. That woman who gave two mites, that was extravagant. But God does say you can give an extravagant gift. He says that everything that you do through you for him is extravagant. So this, and not only we had hope, 2 Corinthians 8, 5, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to by us the will of God. So in this story, the Bible is very clear about this. It mentions this, this in John chapter 8 when we read that. If you remember, it says, there was Lazarus, who was dead, that Jesus raised from the dead. And there his sister, Mary, anoints his feet with oil. Why did she anoint his feet with oil? Because she was excited and she was grateful for what God had done for her. She was like, you know what, God? You raised my brother from the dead. Now, if somebody in your family had been raised from the dead... Don't you think you'd be grateful? You'd be like, I owe God everything. And some of you already know where this is going, right? 
If you believe in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have been raised from the dead. The Bible tells us that. The Bible tells us that you have been raised from the dead. In Ephesians 2, it says that. So the most... extravagant thing that we can give Jesus is us. And if we can't part with our money, we can't really give him our heart. Because where your treasure is, there your heart is. And if you're like me and you're being offended right now, the first time that I heard this, I'm just going to tell you, go back and listen to the first sermon that Pastor Nate did. It's about the heart. Because if God has your money, he has your heart. I can promise you that. So there's three levels of giving in the Bible that it talks about. There's tithes, there's offerings, and there's extravagant offerings. And so when we read through that, we see those three different things. And some people call the, the last level of giving the sacrificial offerings or maybe painful offerings sometimes, right? And there's stories about people that, that have given painfully. And most Christians, I read, have never reached the first level of tithe. So 5 to 7% of Christians actually tithe on their gross income and designated. And you can't designate the tithe. I know some people try. They're like, oh, I want 5% here and 3% here. No, you can't designate the tithe because you can't control it because God said it's mine. And if it's his, then you don't get to control it. You just have to give it. So 5 to 7% of Christians never reach the first level. And if you reach the first level, you're going to get to the other levels. And some of you are like, I don't know if I want to get to the third level. <laughs> I can barely afford 10%. <laughs> I can tell you this. It's okay. Because God, Jehovah Jireh, provides. He is our provider. He is our provider. So he wants your heart. He wants your heart. I read, uh, I read this story of this man named Stephen. And he was a businessman, and he gave like 50% of his income to the church. And, and then he went to work for the church. And, it, and he had sold his business and made millions of, millions of dollars, and he had given most of that to the church. And so he went to work for the church, and he's working for the church in the business office. Um, and, and he one day, before he went to sleep, he went and he looked at his checking account, and he's like, wow, I got some money there. And he looked at his savings, and he's like, wow, I got some money there. And he looked at his retirement, and he's like, wow, I got some money there. And then he looked at over his investments, and he's like, wow, ah. He's like, I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good. And so he went to bed. And the next morning, he wakes up, and, and, and during his prayer time, God's speaking to him, and God says, Stephen, how much money do you have? And he's like, um. <laughs> he's like, God, uh, what do you mean? He's like, how much money do you have? He's like, what do you mean, God, in my, in my wallet? Is that, like, in my wallet, how much money do I have? And God's like, how much money do you have? He goes, well, what do you mean, God, like, in my savings account? He's like, you know what I mean. You counted it last night. How much money do you have? And he's like, God, you know. He's like, I want you to give it to the church. And, and, and he says that he struggled with that. And he said that he didn't know what to do. And his first thought was like, oh, I don't want to do that. But then he was obedient, and he gave it all to God. He gave all his cash to the Lord. And, and as he went along, it was a little over a year later, a little over a year later, God's like, Stephen, I want you to go back and add up those four accounts. And he's like, no, no, I'm good. I'm good, God. I trust you. I trust you. And uh, he's like, I, I don't really want to do that, right? And God's like, I want you to go count it. And, and, and by this confession, he says that he went and counted all four of those accounts, and every account had double of what he had before. And God said, I can do that in a little over a year. What took you 15 years, I can do in less than a year. So our God provides. Our God provides. 
I know one time when, in, in our life when we, were, when we were struggling and we didn't have a lot of money and God had told us, he's like, I want you to pledge to the church $24,000. And in my mind, that might as well have been $335 million, right? It's like, it like, God, I don't have $24,000. I don't make as much as, <laughs> right? But you know, here's what I've learned. Some of the people that I think are extravagant back in, in my immaturity that now I look at and I know the most extravagant people are the most generous people. The people that you look at that you think they live extravagantly, I can tell you, are oftentimes some of the most generous people. And we're judging them for what they're doing and we don't even know what they're doing. God challenged me in that. And I was like, okay. And I talked to my wife and we were like, I don't know if we can do this. We were in a, in a small church and we were getting ready to do this building swap with another church. And it's just a crazy story. But anyways, we're like, okay, God, we trust you. And we made this pledge. And we started... We started paying what we could, and we started to just like buckle down and do what we could, and that was started our journey of becoming debt-free. That's a different story. But God blessed us in that. He blessed us in our provision, and I started getting bonuses. We started getting some other things that came through. We met that pledge in a year, $24,000 in a year, and that was a lot. Yes, yes. Not, not because of what we did, but because of God. And sometimes we go through this life, and we don't even realize what God is going to do. I can also tell you, just so you know where we've been, we've also been at the grocery store with a calculator going, take that out of the cart. So I can promise you, in my roller coaster of my life, and the downs have been, I've had more ups and downs, but the downs financially have been like my fault. I'm like, okay, God, yep, yep. And, and I can tell you this, I know what it means to be in want, and I know what it means to be in plenty. And I know that through it all, my God provides my God provides. So I just want to encourage you in that, that God provides. It's known that Rick Warren has given away 90% of his income to the church. And I've heard people say, well, if I made that much money, I'm like, no, you want it. I just say, you would not. 90%? You don't get to write off 90% of, of that as a tax deduction. And people that say that people give for a tax deduction, that's crazy. Nobody gives away a dollar to save 30 cents. Are you kidding me? That's just dumb math, right? And anybody that has that much money is smart enough to know that they can't outgive to save enough in taxes to make up for the difference. But God, but God, how does somebody go through life knowing they can't write off all of those deductions if they're giving away 90% of their income and they still got to pay taxes on that and live on 10% because they're probably living on about four. So I can tell you this, where your mind would go, where my mind might go, and I'm not trying to throw stones at anybody, and maybe some of you out here are, are, are better than that, can pay that reverse tithe, and glory to God, and I love you. And I think for most of us, our first thought is, you know what I could do with that money? You know where I could go? You know how much fun I could have? And God's like, nope, give it to me. There's another, there's another man by the name of R.G. Letourneau. And the Bible, or, or not the Bible, but his story is him and his wife gave away 50% of their wealth. Not 50% of their cash, 50% of their wealth. If you give away 50% of your wealth, now most of us would have to sell our house to do that and downsize because you have wealth in your home. He gave away, him and his wife, Evelyn, gave away 50% of their wealth. And here's a quote from him. He says, I shovel money out and God shovels it back. But God has a bigger shovel. God has a bigger shovel. I'm just saying that God provides. And I wish I had time to tell you all kinds of stories, but I'm already going over, so we're going to get to the last one. 
The reward of generosity. The reward of generosity. If God gives you the opportunity to give an extravagant gift, I can promise you he was going to reward you. And you can say, you can't make that promise, Rick. I said, yes, I can, because it's in Scripture. So let's go there. Mark 14, verses 8 through 9. She has done what she could, the Bible says. And this is another portion of this Scripture, just like John that we read earlier. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Or surely I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. She did not come to get a reward, but she came to give. And guess what? She got a reward. Generosity comes from gratitude because she was grateful for what God had done for her. And that gratefulness to God comes from his generosity that he has given us so that we can give. If one of your family members was raised from the dead, like I said earlier, you would want to give like crazy. And the funny thing is, the Bible says this, that Jesus, that God will reward, reward those who give. Now, that, that word reward, when you look at it, doesn't just mean to give what's due. It's like, it's that one place in the Bible, in Hebrews 11, that talks about this reward that he's going to give. And he says, but without faith, is it possible to please him? Hebrews eleven six. For he comes to God, must believe that he is, that he exists, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Not just a rewarder in, in the sense of like, he's going to give you what you do, but that rewarder is in a sense that he's going to give you more than what's due. It's like if you find a, a wallet with $50 in it and you return it and they're like, wow, thanks for my wallet. Here's five grand. And you're like, whoa, that wallet only has $50. And it's like, it doesn't matter. I want to reward you. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, here's the thing about Scripture that you have to realize is that Scripture is true. God cannot lie. We cannot change God because if we could change God, he'd be better than what he is. But God is a truthful God who tells the truth at all times. So if the Bible says he is a rewarder, guess what? He can't help but do what he says because his Bible is true. His word is true. Amen. Do you believe that? So here's the interesting thing is if you give out of a selfish heart, expecting something in return from God... you will get nothing in return. But if you give with a generous heart, expecting nothing, then God's Bible says, the word says, the word that became flesh says that he can't help but reward you. So the, the irony and the twist of this in all of this is just like with our Christian faith where this upside down Christianity where the first will be last and the last will be first and all these other crazy things. The Bible says that if you give with an expectant, selfish heart, you will get nothing in return because you already got your reward. But if you give to God expecting nothing in return, guess what he's gonna do? He's gonna reward you because he says that he will. And I believe that what he says he will do, he will do. Henry Drummond said it this way, the most obvious lesson in Christ's teaching is that there is no happiness in having or getting anything, but only in giving. Corey Ten Boom, the measure of life after all is not its duration, but its donation. And Winston Churchill, we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. Will you stand with me as we close? I just want to say that I hope you hear my heart in all this. That our God is a God who sees and provides. He's a generous God. And just like I said earlier, that, that, that God has plenty of money. He has, he has a cattle on a thousand hills and he has gold and everything in heaven. And he doesn't, he doesn't need your finances, but he wants your heart. 
And if he has your heart, he's gonna get your finances. And just like the God in heaven doesn't need your finances, I can tell you this church, this church doesn't need your finances because God's gonna bless us no matter what. But he wants you to be faithful. That's what it boils down to. Are you gonna be faithful? Are you gonna trust me in the tithe? Are you gonna trust me in the offerings? Are you gonna trust me in the extravagant gift? And that's what I wanna challenge you with today is where is your heart? Because God is a generous God. Am I generous? So some of you might have been offended. Some of you might have been challenged. And maybe there's somebody out there right now that already God has laid on your heart like, I'm supposed to give an extravagant gift and I haven't done that yet. And for some of you, that extravagant gift is paying that, that is doing that first thing that he's asking you to do, that tithe. You filled out that 90-day challenge and you've already been challenged. There's already been things in your life that have come up and you're like, but if I didn't pay that tithe, and, and God, and you're already facing that first test. And the thing is, are you gonna be faithful to what God has called you to? Are you gonna be faithful to what he has called you to, to do that? Because it's a transformation of the mind. It's a transformation of the mind. And here's the problem is that all of us have gone through life and we've learned a bunch of things in our life because none of us here are like one years old, right? They're all in the nursery. So we've got, we've got these life lessons behind us, but some of you have had an apprenticeship in life and anxiety. Some of you have had an internship in life and insecurity. And some of you have had a schooling in life and scarcity. And God today says, but God. But God can take that anxiety, he can take that insecurity, he can take that scarcity mindset, but God, and he can flip that around and he can transform your mind. Because God wants to teach you in transformation. God wants to break your bondage and God wants to give you generosity. So that's the teaching that he has and that's the life lesson that he has. So we can keep doing what we were doing and expect something different to happen or we can lean into what scripture says and God, I give it to you. Transform my life, break my bondage, help me to be generous because I am generous because your Bible says that you are generous, therefore I am generous. So God, just like, the, just like the Bible says, I believe but help my unbelief. I am generous but help my selfishness, God. I surrender it to you, I give it all to you and I want you in my life. Before we go into worship, I want to ask this one thing. There's somebody here maybe this morning that maybe you came in and you're like, I have no idea what this like, preacher is even talking about. I don't even care. It doesn't even matter. You know what? If you're offended, get mad. Come back next week and Pastor Nate will help you out, all right? Because he's the guy, all right? So this week, if you're like, I've never given my life to Christ. I want to ask you this morning to give the most generous gift you can give. The Bible says the most generous gift you can give is your heart because God has something special for you. He has a plan for you. He has a plan of salvation for you. He has eternal life for you. He has forgiveness. He has freedom. He wants to set you free. And if that's you this morning, we don't want to leave this morning without having the opportunity to say, you know what? I don't know this Jesus that you serve. I don't know this generous God that you serve. I don't know what that means to be free from that bondage and that wreckage, but I surely heck want to give it a try. If that's you this morning, whether you're online or you're in person, if you're online, you can click that button. If you're in person, I just want you to raise your hand and say, yes, that's me. That's me. I want to give the most extravagant gift I can. I give my life. I give my life to Christ. Since we're all believers, 
ask God to break that bondage in us. And as we sing, I just want to open up the altars for you to come down and say, you know what, God spoke to me today and I don't know what he spoke to you about, but I need to break this bondage in my life. I want God to transform me, break my bondage. And God, I'm generous, but help my selfishness. So God, we lean into you. We're grateful, God, for what you've done for us. We're grateful, God, because you died on the cross for us. You rose again. You're interceding for us, God. So God, we just want to do what you commanded us to do. Lord, we give you our whole heart, our whole mind. We're grateful, God, for what you've done for us. And we just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Portland Christian Center Podcast. If you'd like to hear more or learn more about us, visit our website at pcctoday.com or join us online for our live stream at 1030 at live.pcctoday.com.